any story or person who is mentioned in all four Gospels is worth giving some extra attention to. The story we will hear today, the cleansing of the temple or the turning over of the tables of the money changers, this is such a story. Some version of it appears in all four Gospels. However, we will be hearing the passage from John today, the Gospel of John, and in this Gospel story, this story doesn't come at the end of Jesus' ministry like it does in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Instead, it comes at the very beginning. Jesus has only just performed the miracle of the wedding at Cana, where he turned water into wine. He has just started to go public with his miraculous ability. It is very important to John that this scene we're about to hear is at the start of Jesus' public preaching and teaching. I wonder why this might be important. As we are listening, I wonder what goes on in yourself as you hear this scene. I wonder how John is setting the stage with this action, with this dramatic moment. God is still speaking. Let us listen to the word of the Lord. From John chapter 2. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, what sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and will you raise it up in three days? But Jesus was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The gospel writer of John certainly knows how to set a scene. You can almost imagine the throngs of people pooling around the temple. It is Passover in this text, one of the most important religious holidays for the Jewish people. And it is set at the temple, the most holy and important site. So there are animals, voices, clack of coins, call of birds, stomping of foot and hoof, people calling back and forth, shouting to each other. And then the crash of a table hitting the dirt, coins flying everywhere. The half second of stunned silence from the crowd as everyone turns to look. Then the shouts of a person driving the animals, every last beast and bird out of the space The angry cries that follow from shopkeepers and the shocked gasps from disciples when they all realize what's happening. And at the center, Jesus, creating this mess, crying out as he goes along. 
John certainly knows how to set a scene. It isn't hard to imagine the emotions that are happening here. The blood that is pounding in the money changer's ears. The blood that is draining from the disciples' faces. The mixture of shock and anger, of confusion and chaos by onlookers and participants alike. I wonder when was the last time that you wanted to do something like this? When you were so frustrated, you just wanted to stop playing nice and start thrashing and crashing around making a mess. Jill Duffield, the editor of The Outlook, wrote an email this week about the lectionary. She wrote, we might find ourselves cheering Jesus on, feeling our fist close as if around our own whip. We might find in this story a justification of our own indignation, a relief of our own pent-up, long-simmering annoyances. We might hear this story and imagine letting ourselves make some noise, overturn some tables, shocking people as we go. But as Jill goes on to say, it is worth remembering We are not Jesus. We are not the Son of God. We do not understand God's purposes or plans for humankind in the same way as Jesus does. Jesus doesn't ask his disciples in this text to join in the mess-making. Jesus is not asking us to wield a whip or a weapon. We are not Jesus. And yet, and yet, these emotions in this text are real. Jesus does something dramatic here, something that makes a statement. Jesus taps into real emotions. He stirs up real trouble. Jesus seems to get angry. And this isn't coming at the end of his ministry as some sort of grand finale of signs and wonders This is only the beginning. Quick, think in your mind of your favorite or even most familiar image of Jesus. Chances are, the image that pops in your mind when you think of Jesus the Christ as depicted through the ages, it's a a calm image, a serene figure who gazes up at heaven or gazes out at the people, all calm and tranquil. Or perhaps the gentle image where Jesus stoops to kindly welcome children. These are good images of Jesus. They probably do depict some moments of his ministry. But these serene, calm images you might have in your mind aren't the whole story. As one scholar notes, it's important to remember that whenever Jesus faced faced testing times, He had a definite lack of tranquility. Here are some of the words from the Gospels used to describe Jesus' actions. He laments. He weeps. He gets angry and grieved. His insides are twisted with compassion. He cries out over and over again on the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane at the disciples' consistent inability to understand. Jesus, the Christ, is not described as always gliding through life, tranquil, serene, listening to the world's problems, and then saying, it's okay, calm down, it's not that bad. 
Jesus is described as experiencing the whole range of human emotions. This might be hard to imagine. Indeed, we might prefer to keep Jesus in our minds as a calm, collected, constantly centered and balanced figure. We might be uncomfortable with anything more intense. Yet, unlike us, the scriptures do not shy away from the intensity of emotion. Unlike us, the scriptures do not say, calm down, you're being dramatic. Instead, the scriptures say, God hears you. God sees you. God acknowledges what you are going through. This scripture passage has led me to read some more about anger in the Bible. I came across a book that discusses this and other passages called The Gift of Anger, which is not something we often hear. In it, a pastoral counselor describes intense feelings as coming in groups. She says, emotions come in clusters, like grapes. People do not ever have just one feeling at a time. Indeed, avoiding one feeling tends to mean avoiding a whole cluster of feelings. So those who are afraid of anger can be dulled to other intense emotions. Feelings, emotions come in clusters. We don't often think this way. We might think that when we get annoyed or angry, when we lash out, it's just a one-time isolated incident. When we yell at our spouse or child or coworker or driver on the road, we might tell ourselves it doesn't mean anything, that it was just this one thing and that we are just fine otherwise. But a little self-examination might tell us a different story about what is going on inside. The scriptures tell a different story. Emotions come in clusters, and what we see as anger so often is actually intertwined with other emotions like disappointment, hurt, and grief. Grief and anger are closely connected. We get angry when things don't line up with our expectations. We get angry when we are let down by people or situations that we expected more of. We are disappointed, saddened, and then we get frustrated and angry. In the scriptures, with God and with Jesus, grief and anger are always connected. Language about God in the Old and New Testaments that describe God as most angry happen when humans are most disappointing, when they have hurt the heart of God most deeply. God is most angry when God is most full of grief, and the same is true of Christ. Jesus is angry when the disciples, the crowds, the religious leaders, when these people fail to live up to God's vision for their community, their congregations, and their lives. Christ is most angry when he is most full of grief. Emotions come in clusters. Emotions are intimately entwined. The scriptures know this. And so we hear Christ's intense frustration and disappointment and grief because the people are just not getting what he's trying to share with them. 
The people are not getting what it means to enter the house of the Lord. They have turned it into a marketplace. The people are not getting what it means to be part of the kingdom of heaven. They have turned community into a competitive sport. The people are not getting what it means to live into a vision like we've been given in Psalm 19. To hear the heavens telling the glory of God. To see the law of the Lord as reviving the soul. To desire the Lord more than gold or honey. Instead of getting any of this vision, the people are dashing around, not listening, not looking, not feeling, not caring, not paying attention to God's provisions woven into their lives. Jesus is angry in the scriptures But even more so, he is grieved. He is full of grief because we just don't get it. And so, in John, Jesus gets to work. He overturns tables, makes a scene, and then he begins his ministry. He stirs up chaos, makes people pay attention, and then he starts teaching and preaching and showing and telling us what we're missing what we're missing about God, about God's desire to be in relationship with us, about God's hope for our lives, about God's longings for our community, our city, our world. Anger is real. Grief is real. Intense emotions are real. We cannot pretend that we do not have them. We shouldn't pretend that we do not have them. And indeed, the scriptures do not pretend that we do not have them. But here is the important thing. In the Bible, anger from Jesus and God are always, always, always coming out of deep love. Love is the beginning and the end of every encounter and relationship. Even if anger and disappointment are expressed in between, love has the first and the final word. One pastoral theologian explains how love means the difference between an anger of despair and an anger of hope. An anger of despair seeks to destroy. An anger of hope seeks to change. It believes change is possible. An anger of despair uses language of hatred and rage in order to tear up the ground, salt the earth, and destroy any chance for future growth. An anger of hope uses the language of love and grief in order to create a space for change, for new life, for new growth. In recent weeks, we've seen these two angers most clearly playing out in Parkland, Florida at Stoneman Douglas High School. When Nicholas Cruz went out and bought his guns with the expressed purpose of shooting up a school, his was an anger of despair. His anger led him to destroy. When his surviving classmates started protesting and calling out for change and declaring that this norm of mass shootings is not the way things ought to be, they were, they are, declaring an anger of hope, a hope that the country they love, the leaders who are leading, that this all could change for the better. Jesus, too, embodies this anger of hope. In scripture, Jesus does not hold himself off, aloof and judging, seeking to destroy us. 
Jesus the Christ comes to be in relationship with us, comes with hopes and friendships, with grief and frustration. Jesus comes wanting so much more for us. He is angry when we don't seem to care about this vision for our lives. Emotions are real. Emotions are messy. The scriptures acknowledge this. Jesus the Christ shows up in the midst, in the mess of all of these emotions. But Jesus the Christ also shows up with love and a vision that overwhelms everything. Jesus comes wanting to show us another way to live as individuals and as a community. When the going gets tough, when the drama gets real, when the temperature runs hot, this Jesus shows up and wants to show us a new vision of life. When our hearts are bruised with disappointment and we can only imagine lashing out with rage, this Jesus shows up and wants to show us a new vision of life. When the temple, the church, the government all seem to be teeming with corrupt practices and we want to tear it apart stone by stone, this Jesus shows up and wants to show us a new vision of life. When death and destruction seem to have the final word, this Jesus shows up and wants to show us a new vision of life. When we are so weary, so tired, when we feel trapped because our insides are twisted with pain and grief, this Jesus shows up and wants to show us a new vision of life. In this scripture passage today, Jesus' disappointment, his frustration, his anger are not the end of his ministry. They are only the beginning. There is more to come there is more that we will be shown. Jesus is about to get to work, and he is inviting us, inviting us, welcoming us to come along and see and join that work. This is good news. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, you know who we are deeply, fully, honestly. You call for us to live as disciples, joyfully, faithfully. We commit the words of our hands and hearts and lives to your vision, to your love, to your hope for our world. No matter how intense or messy things might be, you call us on. So all of these things we pray in your holy name. Amen. <laughs>